Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Uh, I, I, I said something about uh, being a grandpa now, and so how many know when you get to grandpa status, you're, a, you're allowed a, a certain level of cheesiness? How many know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard of dad jokes? How many know those are cheesy, right? Well, when you get to the grandpa level, you're even allowed to go a little cheesier. Thank you, honey. All right. And, uh, and, and you're allowed to do things that prior to a grandpa, you're just not allowed to do, thus wearing a cardigan. All right. So, so and you're able to tell jokes and do things that thousands upon thousands of grandpas have done before you. And so one of those things is, now that I have a granddaughter, uh, how many ever had this little trick played on you and you thought it was amazing? I walk up to Kenny and I said, I need to check your ears. Anybody know where I'm going with this? Come on, grandpas, where are you in the house? And you reach to check in her ear and you pull money out of her ear. Come on. How many grandpas do that, huh? You guys need to get saved. You're poor grandchildren, all right? I know you're afraid to admit it because they're watching. Is that what happens? So I pull this money out of her ear, and now every time she sees me, her first words is, money in my ears? <laughs> money in my ears? So I pull them. Now i got to walk around with change all the time, and I pull money out of her ear, and then she's a girl, all right? So it's not good enough to have money out of one ear. <laughs> Check this ear too, Pop-Pop. Check this ear too. And so now she's got so much money coming out of her ears that her mom and dad had to buy her a piggy bank. And so now every time I see her, she says, check my ears, I need money for the piggy bank. You're two and a half, girl, what are you saving for, right? Last weekend was beautiful because she came with her little monies in her hand and her mama brought her up to the giving box so she could learn that she gets to keep some, but she should also give some away. Mm. It's a lesson that I've been trying to teach adults for many years (laughs) because the money in our ears is not ours anyway. Amen. Carmen gave me a suggestion. She said, we need slots a little lower on the giving boxes for those that are learning at an early age. Amen, right? Well, I want to talk to you today. Um, I wish this was a message that me and you were just sitting in a coffee shop. Because I usually reserve talking about the principle of kings and priests. Uh, It's usually not one that I preach. It's usually one of those principles that I share when I'm just meeting with what I'll call kings. Or it's a, it's, a, it's a principle that I share oftentimes when I'm talking um, to those that have accomplished what they want to accomplish in life. They have bought all the toys. They bought their house. And they found that those things do not bring the fulfillment that they thought that it would. And it's usually at this point that I go into the principle of kings and priests. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm going to try to just have a conversation with you, but I don't know what it is. You guys get me fired up, and usually I start screaming and yelling and sweating through my cardigan, all right? And so, uh, so this is usually a private conversation, but I want to share it with you. I taught this principle once since we've been a church. Uh, I taught it when we launched Radius Church, when we opened the church, and I taught it on our very first Legacy Sunday 
And uh, on our very first Legacy Sunday, with about 30 people gathered in a coffee shop, uh, we took our very first offering as a church, and we were committed to taking that very first offering and using it to launch the church, but also taking 10% of it and giving it away into a community that we didn't even know if we were pastoring yet. And uh, on that very first Legacy Sunday, uh, with 30 people in a coffee shop, we, ha- re- we received an offering of $17,000, and it was with that offering, come on somebody, that we launched what you're sitting in today. Can I get a good amen on that? And it just one more time demonstrates the principle that I taught just a few weeks ago here, that God shows up at the place of sacrifice. I hope you're learning that. Because God always shows up at the place of sacrifice because it's the place of sacrifice that requires a level of faith that just normalcy does not. And some would have asked me, in fact, five years ago in January, we'll celebrate five years as a church. And I'm, I'm so glad to get to the five-year mark because many people say that churches and businesses that open within the first five years, it's somewhere close to like 89% of those don't make it. Come on, looks like we made it, everybody. Come on, right, everybody? Then throw COVID on top of that. Phew, all right, anyway. But God does show up at the place of sacrifice. And and I remember there was some opposition to us launching Radius Church. Um, I won't call names and I won't tell the names or the titles of anybody, but I will say there was some opposition. And some of the opposition, none of the opposition came from non-churchgoers. The opposition came from churchgoers. And the opposition was, why does our city need another church? Well, I believe that every city in America doesn't just need another church, but every city in America needs another life-giving church. In case you haven't done the math, let me do the math. As I've gone through every church in Skagit Valley, counted how many chairs or pews that are there, and we are still short of enough seats for everybody in this valley that needs to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Come on, everybody. Right? And many would say that the day of the church is over. We are officially now a post-Christian nation and that the day of the church is over. But I believe that when the times get darkest, it's the opportunity for us to shine the brightest. Let me go on record to say I believe this could be the church's finest hour that we've ever had. Come on, everybody. Oh, I need somebody's faith to rise up to that. All all of us, here's what's neat, is when I say this could be the church's finest hour, I want you to think about church different. Because it's not about some pastor coming to town. It's not about some new system or method. It's about all of us getting the revelation that we are the church. And that God has gifted every one of us in this room with spiritual gifts to do what we need to do for such a time as this. You were not born accidentally on the day you were born. And I don't believe you're here by accident, but you are orchestrated and ordained of God to be here for such a time as this. So you got to ask the question, what am I here for, right? Every person in here has a talent. Every person in here has a gift to bring to the table. 
Matter of fact, I was just thinking about this this week. Every single person, I'm fired up because after five years, I feel like that we're finally grabbing a hold of that the church is not about the pastor. The church is the people, right, everybody? And if you don't believe me, just sit back and watch for a moment. Watch John as he finds a pile of pipes back here and for the next weeks figures out how to custom cut every pipe, how to put together every pipe to build a children's playground for us. Come on, everybody, right? If you don't believe it, watch how when people use their talents come together. Watch Dion drive all the way over to Idaho to pick up a trailer so we got storage and drive back. Watch somebody named Tammy that donates the trailer because we didn't know where we were going to store it. Watch Dion show up and say, okay, now that the hard, heavy work is done, let me put up all the fun stuff for everybody. And watch those teams and those people. By the way, while you're clapping, we need some mega help this week. You can meet Dion here this week. See Mark, and uh, Mark will uh, help you get signed up because I want to have the playground ready for next weekend come on for all these kids we got a lot of work to do everybody but if we just use that example watch drivers go down there and fill a semi truck 52 foot semi to the back door watch 42 people show up at last minute notice here on a Monday night and unload it watch a Larry and an AJ fly down there and inventory it let's move on watch Mark organize 30 life groups so that we can have friendships and do community together watch Valerie go out and reach the hurting and feed the hungry come on somebody watch Donnie sit here at the end of the next service until all of us talking Christians are out of here so he can begin to clean up the mess that all of us wonderful Christians make come on watch Nolan Wigglemuth that's 13 years old say it's time for me to use my talents and climb up into the tech room and start helping produce a service come on somebody right Watch Rochelle and watch Kelsey say it's time we had an early morning children's service and watch them sign up and begin to launch our new children's ministry. Watch Glenn show up here, Glenn, and find out and say things to me like this is my father's house and there shouldn't be broken drywall and there shouldn't be leaks in the roof and there shouldn't be broken things. Let me use my talents for the glory of God. Come on now. Yeah, watch people. Joining dream teams and finding their purpose. Are you getting the picture? See, when we come together, not when I come to town, but when we come together, incredible things could happen because the miracle is in the house. And you're the miracle. Come on now. Say, can you get pretty fired up over a coffee meeting? I know. It's a disease I have. I want to say something that I need you to make sure you get in your heart. This is not my church. Let me say it again. This is not my church. And for the first time in five years, I'm finding that we're getting it. We're we're understanding this is not about me. 
I have watched over the last few months a shift happening around here. That ministry is happening in places I don't even know that are going on. Ministry is happening in life groups. Ministry is happening with teams back there building. Ministry is happening. Empowerment is being understood. And people are taking their gifts and doing things for the glory of God. While I'm doing my gift here on Sunday, you're doing your gifts all over and God is getting the glory. Come on, everybody. Right, everyone? I love when people come and ask me questions like they think I know everything. And the more you ask me, the more you realize that dude knows nothing. He can preach sometimes, but outside of that, find someone else to ask. This brother is hurting, and if God can use him, wow, God could use anybody. I was glad there wasn't a whole lot of amens on that one. That was kind of a setup right there, wasn't it, huh? Let me show it to you in Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12 says this. We have different gifts, right, everybody? How many of you are grateful for the people that have the gift to make coffee? Can I hear an amen? Thank you, Carmen and team, all right? According to the grace, according to the grace that is given to us. Now, if I was in the grace series, I'd preach that sentence, but I got to move on, all right? If your gift is prophesying, I'm going to talk about that early next year, what that looks like in modern day. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. Come on, we got a lot of people serving today. If it is teaching, then teach. That's what I'm doing this morning. If it is to encourage, come on, then give encouragement. If you have the gift of encouragement, if, uh, sometimes I say the, the thing I do around here, I'm just a cheerleader. I just encourage people. If you're a cheerleader too, just encourage somebody before you leave here today, all right? If it is, watch this, giving, then give generously. Now, hold on. You could see that two ways. You could say, oh, my gift is encouragement. That means somebody else has to give. I don't have to give. <laughs> I'm coming after you today, all right? If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then uh, show it, do it cheerfully. Um, let me just talk about this real quick. My message is not about this line, but all of us have gifts. And the gift of giving is actually a spiritual gift. Now, when we bring our tithe, technically, when we bring our tithe, we're not giving. We're bringing back what is owed. So that's not classified as giving. When you bring 10% back, that's what God asks us to bring back. Now, I won't get into all the law and all of that stuff right here. But there is, there are those that have the spiritual gift of giving that want to accelerate the work of God or the kingdom work, that they want to give. God has blessed them. Many times they're entrepreneurial in spirit, in heart, sometimes not. But they want to accelerate the vision of the church. They want to do something above and beyond. And those people are to give generously. That doesn't mean that we don't all bring back our gifts to the church, uh, but there are those. And so with that in mind, one of the things we want to launch here, I talk a little bit about it as every year passes, but I think we're getting close. I want to start a ministry called Legacy Builders. 
And it is specifically designed for those that have the ministry gift or the spiritual gift of giving. I'm not talking about people that give their tithes. I'm talking about people that want to give above and beyond to help accelerate the things that God wants to do in this valley. Come on, everybody. And so legacy builders would be a group of people that come together, hear the vision, and say, man, let's, let's do that one this year. Let's do that thing this year and help us accelerate the vision. Are you, guys, you guys got quiet when I started talking about money. Woo, you're in trouble, all right? Not only do we have the gift, we also have, or excuse me, let me say this. Not only do we all in this room have gifts, we all have spiritual gifts, Now I want to talk to you about something that maybe we haven't been taught before. So not only do we all have gifts, talents that we can bring to the table, but we've also all been assigned a seat in the ministry or an office in the kingdom work. So we all have an office. And for simplicity's sake, today I want to talk to you about two of those offices, and it's the office of king and it's the office of priest. Okay, so I need a little clarification, especially after just coming out of a series on grace and New Testament. First of all, we all operate, uh, we all operate in the office of a king and a priest when it comes to our private life. So I'm going to explain these, so just hang with me. In your private life, you're both a king and you're a priest. Because the Bible says in the New Testament, remember I was talking about the Old Testament, how only the high priest did the ministry? But after Jesus came, then we are all priests and have access into the throne room of God. Please act like you remember my sermon from just two weeks ago, all right? Okay, and so we are, the Bible says we are all a royal priesthood. So in relationship, we are all kings and priests. In office, so in private, in our private life, we're kings and priests. In your home, you're a king of your home, and you're a priest of your home. It's like, it's, it, it would be like me saying the difference between your mission uh, and your ministry. My mission in my home was to raise godly children. My mission is to glorify God. My mission in, in, in my home is to have a good marriage. My ministry might be something like taking out the trash that's my my wife thinks it's my ministry anyway but you know what I'm saying okay so it's like a mission and a ministry in your private life you're a king and you're a priest because you're a royal priesthood relationally you're a priest you're a king and a priest but in a position of office or in this corporation if you could call it that for the sake of the illustration of the church We either serve in the office of a king or a priest. Watch this, Revelations chapter number 1. Here's what the Bible says. This is a great chapter to read. This is the chapter that precedes the seven churches that I did earlier this year. Okay, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, thank you, Jesus, in his blood, watch this, and hath made us kings and priests unto God. Let me read it again. He has made us <coughs> kings and priests unto God. So what he, the office that we have is for the glory of God. 
Okay, He's made us these things unto God. And His Father, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, if you're following along, either online or in the room, and you're an old school Christian that brought an old school Bible, and you might be reading out of a translation, depending on the translation you brought, it might say He's made us a kingdom of priests. So there are some translations that say He's made us a kingdom of priests. Um, however, the King James says that he's made us kings and priests. I've done a lot of digging on this. I've talked to a lot of pastors about this. When the scripture translation that you have says he's made us a kingdom of priests, it's actually a, it's actually a weak translation. The original text, it, it, it doesn't only say we're kings and priests, but if I could contextualize the original text, it reads like this. He, uh, he lets us rule as kings and serve God his Father as a priest. So it's the office of kings and priests. You guys ready? Let me define them just for this message, all right? It's, it's more in-depth than this, but let me simplify it. Uh, priest, number one, pr- priest, their job is to provide vision. That's very important because without vision, we're not going anywhere, Right? Okay, without a target, we're not going to hit the target. So priests provide vision. Watch this then. Then kings provide provision. Now I want you to notice the order here. Priests provide vision. Kings provide provision. The order is provision will always follow the vision. Have you ever noticed even in your private life, much less the corporate church life, the provision is never there first? The vision is always there first. How many have ever made this statement? We need to do it even though it's not a good time to spend the money. Nobody's ever said that before in your life? Uh, Yeah, we got to buy our son braces uh, even though it's not a good time, right? It's never a good time because most of the time, especially in ministry work, the provision is never there first. Watch Jesus being born. Jesus, the vision, he comes first. Then the kings come, the magi come, and they bring the provision for him. Provision always follows vision. If there's not strong vision, there will not be strong provision. Come on everybody right I mean nobody has signed up to say let me give a million dollars and you figure out what to do with it hello somebody it is usually talking about here's what we're going to do I don't know how we're going to pay the rent on an outreach building but the vision comes first the provision always comes next now let me share a struggle I have there are times in my 35 years of ministry that I would have liked to been the king and not the priest There's times I want to be the king, and there's people in my church that say, man, I have a business opportunity for you, and the flesh side of me rises up and says, okay, tell me all about it. And I want to be a king sometimes because I want to go and make money, and I want to go and have business, but every time I try to slip out of my lane as a priest and start acting like a king, I get myself in trouble. Mm -hmm. But let me talk about you now for a minute. Are you ready for this? There are kings also who would love to be priests for a good motive. There are kings that are sitting in the room that are good at business. They're good at making money. They're good entrepreneurs. They're good stewards. They're good money managers. And they, what makes them good is they only invest in something that has a good return. 
And a lot of times, kings will show up in a church that's not showing a good return. Come on. And so if we're not careful, those kings will try to manipulate the priest. Hello, somebody. Or manipulate the office of the church because for a good motive, they want their money to go into good soil. Hello, right, everyone? All right. In the church, what has happened, we don't talk about this enough, and what, at least when I was growing up, we underdeveloped kings and we overdeveloped priests. In other words, we gave this kind of subconscious message out there that it was more valuable to be a priest and it wasn't quite as valuable. You know, I'm more valuable because I'm standing. You're less valuable because you're sitting. And so what we've done is we've overdeveloped priests and there are people that are trying to be a priest that really God has anointed them to be a king. Mm-hmm. There will always be, watch this, there will always be, first of all, when the, church, when the church doesn't operate with the understanding that there has to be kings and priests for this thing called the church, then we never reach our fullest capacity. There will always be a handful of priests and there will always be an abundance of kings. Why is that? Because God set that pattern. He set that precedent in the Old Testament. Watch this. In the Old Testament, how many know enough to know there's 12 tribes of Israel, right? 12, by the way, is the number of government. That's why there was 12 disciples, there were 12 tribes. 12 is the number of government or... Twelve is the number of order or structure. How many know that order determines outcome? So government structure, order determines outcome. There will always be a handful of priests. There will always be an abundance of kings. And when we operate in the way we're supposed to, there will always be everything we need to do what God has called us to do. Are you guys with me? Some of you are like, wow, I've never heard this. Is this true? Okay, come on, just hang with me, all right? So there's 12 tribes of Israel, and God set the pattern of a handful of priests and a lot of kings in the 12 tribes because one tribe was a tribe of priests. It was the tribe of Levi. And 11 tribes were the tribes of kings. A few priests, a lot of kings. Come on. Let me give you two points today. Are you guys with me today? Let me give you two points. I want to talk to you first about the mistakes we make and the model we should follow. So first of all is the mistakes. The mistake is when we don't understand each other's role. The mistake is when we have pastors that are trying to be businessmen and businessmen who are trying to be pastors. Come on, you know you've seen it. If you've been in the church more than a year, you know you have seen businessmen trying to interject in things they probably should not interject in. And you've seen pastors going in lanes that usually get them in trouble because they're trying to act in the office that they shouldn't act in. How many know when the pastor's number one priority is about how much money he can make, how many knows he's off the rails already? I did not come into ministry because I wanted to be a millionaire, everybody. All right? You understand what I'm saying, right? Okay. Then when we get things out of order, when we don't understand each other's role in the house, and order determines outcome. Now, I want to say something to you right here that I want everybody to stop taking notes long enough to pay extreme attention to this. I am not the hero of the Radius Church story. 
In fact, write it down. Ken is not the hero. Underline it like you're angry. Put exclamation points behind it. Draw little asterisks. Put in parentheses about time he realized this. Whatever you got to do, okay? I am not the hero. Don't, please don't. I know you mean well, but when you come up to me, oh, thank you so much for starting Radius Church. I am not the hero of the Radius Church story. Kings are not, kings, kings, everybody, not priests. Priests are not the hero. If you want to recognize a hero, I know everybody's going to say Jesus is the hero. I know that. But we are his body, and the priests are not the heroes. But if you want to know the heroes of the story, the kings are the hero of the story of the local church because if it wasn't for the kings and the priests working together, come on, we wouldn't be where we're at. Come on, somebody. Watch this. Watch this. So kings, when we decided five years ago, we got ready, almost five years ago, we got ready to launch this campus after a year meeting in Stanwood. And when that happened, I jumped up and I gave vision about starting a church in Mount Vernon so that we could go back and finish unfinished business. On that Sunday alone, this church rose up, and I think, I don't remember exactly, and I didn't ask our bookkeeper the number, but we raised somewhere on that one offering, somewhere between fifty dollars and $70,000 that one day because kings responded with provision to the priests who gave vision. And ladies and gentlemen, the reason the kings are the hero is because every chair you're sitting in, every microphone I'm speaking through, every light that's shining on me, every song that we sang, every coffee you drank, every playground that is bought, every floor that is here, the kings rose up and said, we'll provide the provision to the vision. Come on now. The kings provided a place for us. The kings did it. I didn't do it. I was broke as a joke when I showed up here. But I had some vision, and I knew what God was saying, and so the priest served in his seat, and the king served in their seat, and look at the dynamic of the things that are happening. In fact, I got up here in January of this year and said, it's time that we up uh, our, our giving to those that are less fortunate. We're going to do shoes. We're going to do groceries. We're going to take over another part of the building. Some of you are sitting in here and said, I don't know how we're going to do this. I'm just a priest. But kings rose up and began to give and to help us provide everything we needed. We bought every pair of shoes. We bought all the groceries. We've paid the rent on that building. And we have helped hundreds of those less fortunate than us because kings are the hero of the story. Matter of fact, let, let, let me tell you something I haven't shared yet. So I was bragging on you. You got, probably don't know this, but when I'm away with my pastor friends and when I go preach in other places, I brag on you. I say, look, this is a great church I'm preaching in, but I pastor the greatest church in all of America because it's the best people there and there's great kings there. I'm not buttering you up for anything. It's true. Come on. Mark, you've heard me go preach in places. I brag on my church. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. And I was bragging on you this year when I was preaching somewhere and I was talking about our new outreach center. And, and I, it might sound small to some people, but I said, we put 150 pair of shoes on homeless people. Isn't that great? Well, that story began to multiply. Anybody ever heard of Convoy of Hope? 
Convoy, somehow the story eventually got to the people at Convoy of Hope. I got a phone call from Convoy of Hope this week that said, do you have a forklift or a loading dock? I said, no, why? They said, because we have pallets upon pallets upon pallets of shoes we'd like to donate to your church. Come on, everybody. Woo! I said, I said, we don't have forklifts, but we got a bunch of strong men that are always talking about, watch me lift this. Oh, you know, Come on, everybody. See, when we're faithful in small things, when kings act like kings and priests act like priests and the church is in order, powerful things can happen for the glory of God. Come on now. Please know this. I'm not the king. Kings are the hero. Kings are the hero of the movie. Kings are the Luke Skywalkers, and priests are the guide. I guess that would make me Yoda. <laughs> I'm not sure if I even like that. That just pop. I don't even. I've never even seen Star. You're Luke Skywalker. I'm Yoda. Short, fuzzy, and ugly. I don't know. I'm. I'm not sure. Let me give you a couple biblical examples, and I will admit they come out of the Old Testament. So remember, this is just a principle. Out of the Old Testament. Here's a king who didn't act like a king. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. We talked about him a lot in the grace train. In the spring, at the time when kings go to war, he's supposed to be a king. But watch him not act like a king and watch what happens to him. David sent Joab out with the king's men. He sent Joab out. He didn't go out. He sent him out. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He depended on somebody else that attends the church. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. He, had, he depended on somebody else to carry the weight. Ah. David sent Joab out with the king's men. And the whole Israelite army, they destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. Watch this last line. But David remained in Jerusalem. You say, Ken, I don't get it. Okay, I'm glad. I, let me explain it. David was the king. David was supposed to lead the charge. Let me tell you what kings did in the Old Testament. They went out. They invaded other villages. They plundered. They gathered the spoils. They brought the spoils back to their kingdom. And then they gave the first part of it back to the work of God. David was supposed to go to war and gather. Doesn't that sound familiar? You're going to go to war this week. It's called Boeing, everybody. <laughs> it's called fill in the blank. You're going to war wherever you work. You're to plunder. You're to have dominion. You're to have authority. You've got God's anointing on you to rise up. You're going to go to war, and you're to gather spoils to come back and provide for your kingdom, your home, your ministry, but also bring a first fruit of it back to the work or the temple of God. But David didn't go. David didn't go. So the other kings still got victory, but the king, come on, he sat. Does anybody know what happened when he didn't go? That's when he seen Bathsheba. That's when he had his greatest fall ever because he was a king that was not acting like a king and he had the greatest fall that he ever had in his life. Let me give you another David illustration. Are you guys with me? 
Remember in the Grace Train series where I talked about how David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the church or the temple or the tabernacle? Remember that? And so what I didn't tell you in that series is something that's very significant. What I didn't tell you in that series, the first time he tried to go get the Ark, it was a ruin. It was a bust. He failed. If you know the story, you can look it up. I'm not going to take the time to look it up. It's in 1 Samuel chapter number 13. David builds this new cart for the Ark to set on. It's a great cart, but the ark was never meant to be carried by a cart. It was meant to be carried by poles. If you've ever seen a picture of it, they carried it on poles on each side. Okay, But here's David. He wants to go get the ark. What he wants to do is good the way he goes about it. Remember, it's Old Testament is the wrong way. And if you know the story, 1 Samuel chapter number 13, they get the cart, they put the ark on the cart, they're moving the ark, they're bringing it back to the tabernacle, And they cross this place, and the ark begins to tip like it's going to fall off. And a guy by the name of Uzzah tries to steady it. Does anybody know this story? Raise your hand if you know this story. This is like a freak-out story. He's trying to help God by steadying the ark, and he dies. And it's like, what's up with that, God? Now, please remember, this is Old Testament, all right? There's a lot of wacky stuff like that in the Old Testament that doesn't make sense in our, in, in our time. I shouldn't have called it wacky because I respect the Word of God. Okay, but watch this. Later, he sends a tribe. Late, that mission failed, but the ark came back to the tabernacle, right? We talked about it in the series, so just nod at me like you remember. So the second go-around, see, Uzzah was from the 11 tribes of kings. Just let that sink in for a minute. So he got somebody else, and he sent the priest, the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi are the priests. Ah, and the priests filled their role and brought the presence of God back to the tabernacle come on everybody now i am in no way saying that only priests do ministry and only and only kings provide i'm not saying that at all i'm helping us understand an office and a responsibility we have of course priests also contribute and kings also minister you understand that right okay Now, let me give you one more story. I won't dive deep into it. Let's talk about when a king tries to act like a priest again. Remember again, this is Old Testament, and this is the first king. Okay, so in 1 Samuel chapter number 13, if you read verse number 1, which I don't think I'm going to do today, I'm, I'm not. Uh, if you read verse number 1, it talks about uh, Saul being a king. Okay, so there's this situation going on. I'm not going to take the time to explain it. You can read it on your own. But I just want to show you another king that's trying to sit in the seat or the office of a priest. How many know we're all valuable and we're all anointed to do something different? Come on, are you hanging with me? Okay, so watch this. Saul remained, is that where I want to go? Yeah, Saul remained at Gilgal. And all the troops with him were quaking in fear. They were in this big battle, okay? Saul's the king. Remember that. Uh, If I would have read verse 1, it would have showed that. So he said, watch this, see if you don't see. Bring me the burnt offerings. Wait a minute, Old Testament, only the priests were supposed to do that. Bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Watch this. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel. Guess what Samuel is? 
he's a priest. Surprise, surprise, Gomer Pyle. What are you doing, Saul, right? Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel, the priest, arrived. And, and Saul went out to greet him. How many know sometimes when you know you're in trouble and you try to head it off? Oh, hi, how are you doing today? That's what Saul's doing right here, guys. you got to read this stuff, all right? Hey, I'm so glad you're here. You'll never believe what, what had happened was, okay? So watch this. Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel, the priest. Watch this. Uh, I thought, here's Saul talking, the king, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I felt compelled because I didn't think the priest was doing a good job to do the role of a priest. Mm-hmm. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. You have, and then the priest talks up. You think I'm tough on you? Watch this priest. Check this out. You have done a foolish thing. Mm-hmm. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Now, there's a whole lot more there than I care to try to unpack here. All I'm trying to do is settle the understanding that there are offices of kings and there are offices of priests. Let me give you the model and we'll close. The primary responsibility, so point number two is the model, the primary responsibility of a priest. Follow me on this. It doesn't mean priests don't contribute financially, but the primary responsibility of a priest is to provide vision. I provided vision for us launching in Mount Vernon, and kings rose up and provided all the provision that we needed to launch. How many were here on launch day? Anybody still around our launch day? We had just this little room right here. There was no doorway over that. And as kings have gathered and kings have understood their role, come on, look at look what God is doing. Oh, this isn't it yet. I got a surprise for you at the end. So wake your neighbor up and tell him, hey, we're getting to the good stuff now, all right? So I provided vision. We are all called, but we all have different roles. If you're not receiving your paycheck from the church, then you're probably a king, all right? Now, that doesn't mean if you're a king now, it doesn't mean that God couldn't transition you into a priest. I think there are people in this room that one day will be priests, and they don't even know that they have the anointing of a priest on them yet. That's just another subject, all right? But watch this. Why is it so important that there is a priest that provides vision? Because the Bible says in Proverbs 29, where there is no vision, people perish. If there's nobody providing vision, if there is no priest saying, we're going to put shoes on people, then kings wouldn't have bought shoes, and 150 homeless people wouldn't have had shoes on their feet while the weather's getting cold. Come on now, right? And I could give illustration after illustration, but somebody has to provide vision, or the king's got no role to play. The vision is what gives us marching orders. The vision is what keeps us on course. The vision, the priest says, we do four things, no God, 
find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. We're gonna, the priest helps us know what to say no to. The priest helps us know where to put our time. The priest helps us know where to put our money and where not to put our money. Hello, somebody? And it keeps us on course. Now, if that's the primary job of the priest, then the primary responsibility of the king is to provide provision for the vision because God has favored you with a place. God has favored you with a talent so you can go and bring the spoils back for your kingdom but also bring 10% of it back to his work. Come on. That sounds like a good deal, everybody. Okay, watch this. Now watch, let me show you why this is important because if you're full of vision and have no provision, you're not going anywhere. If there was no kings that heard me amongst that group of 30 in the coffee shop, and I'm talking about, man, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and I think we could do this, and my, I, I believe God has showed us to do that. If there was nobody, if I had all this vision, but there was no kings in the room, guess what? We'd still be sitting in the coffee shop going, one day, God's going to move. <laughs> now translate that to today, because I'm still saying, one day, we're going to have a dream center. One day we're going to buy one of these abandoned hotel rooms and start a dream center. Come on. One day we're going to have a building. And if you think that's far-fetched, you should have been one of the 30 sitting in a nasty, rain-dripping-through-the-roof coffee shop, me going, hey, we're going to do something for the glory of God. huh? <laughs> Come on, everybody. <laughs> but if you're full of pro... Now, here's the opposite. If a priest is full of vision and there's no provision, he's going nowhere. Now, watch. Look, let's look at the opposite. If you're full of provision, kings, but you don't have vision, you become reckless. Tell me you don't see it every day. Turn on TV and look in Hollywood. Turn on TV and watch pro athletes buying air-conditioned dog houses because they have so much provision... They don't have a covenant relationship with a priest helping that provision have some guidelines to walk within. Come on. In, in Michigan, we had a number of pro athletes that came to our church, and they had a lot of provision. But there was no covenant relationship with a priest, so they didn't have vision. They had provision, but they didn't have vision. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I won't call names, but I had a, a, a very high-profile professional basketball player that attended my church, and uh, he invited us over one year to his house on Christmas. And, and prior to that, I'd found he had this body shop. You ever seen those, like, Trick My Ride shows? Well, there was all the, uh, he, he owned dozens and dozens of cars that he had customized and put hundreds of thousands of dollars in them. Matter of fact, uh, it, in, in fact, that year at Christmas, he had this 1960 Cadillac, which is my favorite car, and he gave me that car for Christmas. Now, don't give me a car. I don't want a car. I, we tried, somebody tried to give the church a car last week, and we said, no, keep your car, all right? So, so that's not what I'm saying. But then we went to his house on Christmas. His wife drove a Bentley. How many know Brent, Bentleys have big price tags? He had a garage at his home that fit nine cars. All of the cars were at least a quarter million dollars apiece. We showed up to his house on Christmas Day. There was a red bow on a white Bentley, one of the most expensive $350,000 car you can buy. It's sitting in the driveway. And all of a sudden it registered, there's a king with no priest. There's provision without any vision. So I took Mr. King to dinner. <laughs> And I said, let me talk to you a little bit about all your Bentleys. I don't need a Brent Bentley, but I am a priest, and I want to give you some guidelines for your provision. 
he got a hold of this. And he sat down, he and his family, and wrote a check instead of for another car and opened our outreach center that was a full-fledged, brand-new clothes, accessories for all of our homeless. Uh, I mean, a building as big as everything we are renting right now. He wrote the check because kings need priests and priests need kings. Come on, somebody, right? Come on now. There has to be covenant relationship between the king and the priest. So if you're a king, every king should pick a priest that they align with the vision. Please hear me. I mean this with all sincerity. Those of you that are watching online, please hear this. Don't come here because you like the preaching. Come here because you know your office as a king and you align with the vision of this priest. And when that covenant kind of relationship happens, I can trust you, you can trust me, and great things can happen for the glory of God. Amen, everybody? Come on, give the Lord a good hand. I'll give you one, one simple illustration that doesn't have to do with money. I didn't ask for permission to share this, but I'm going to go out on a limb and share it. So this week I was in a meeting with my friend Jim Grins. Jim Grins is a great businessman. He's a great king. And I sat across the table from him acting as a priest. He sat across the table from me acting like a king. And a third party was there. I was able to bring some vision and spiritual leadership. And he was able to bring some business savvy to it. And together you could see that God was birthing something incredibly exciting in our midst. When there's covenant between kings and priests. I'll give you one example. Are you guys with me? First Kings 19. You know the story of Elijah? You know the story of Elisha? At this time in history, Elisha is still a king. So watch this. So Elisha, the Bible says, if you read it in 1 Kings 19, I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture without putting it on the screen, but here's Elisha. The Bible says this. If you pick up the story in 1 Kings 19, the Bible says Elisha was out plowing the field with a team of oxen. Now, first of all, in those times, if you had one ox, you were considered the upper middle class. Elisha came from a wealthy family. He is now overtaking his family business. He is plowing the field with a team of of oxen. He's a king. Watch Elijah the priest come up to him. First Kings 19. He comes up to him. He sees the king, sees something in the king. He takes off his mantle. He takes off his cardigan sweater, everybody, and he throws it over the shoulders of Elisha. Basically, symbolically, what is happening is Elijah is giving vision to Elisha that your oxen have a greater purpose than plowing dirt. Your oxen, what you're doing now, has a bigger picture than just buying groceries on Friday. Your oxen, your work has a, and so I'm going to put some vision so you can provide some provision and they created a covenant relationship and now watch Elisha respond to the vision and move forward in his life and do double the miracles that Elijah ever did come on everybody Woo! okay I gotta end I gotta end because I want to have time for worship on your chair today is a dollar bill and uh, if you've been here before what we're going to do next is we're going to bring our legacy offerings. And, and, and some have already given online, and that's okay. But the reason I want to do this is not to sit back and go, oh, that person came to the box and that person didn't. We're going to come to the Joash chest. 
Joab's chest. It's scriptural. It's found in 2 Kings chapter number 12, where King Josiah, uh, Joash, he got up to rebuild the temple of God. He put a chest in the front, on the right side of the altar, drilled a hole in it so people could give their giving. And it says the treasurers would come when the box was full and restored the work of God. So that's, we're just going to do an Old Testament thing today. Now, some have already given online. Some might say, well, I'm not able to participate. I don't have any finances. Okay, I don't want to single anybody out. What I want is for you to have the privilege of understanding. Money in my ears? Money in my, what did Kenny do to get the money in her ears? Nothing. Her pop-up came and found money in her ears. Come on, everybody. Our Father helps us find money in our ears. Money between our ears. Deuteronomy says he gives us the power to produce wealth. Okay? And so, uh, if you're watching online, I want you to participate also. You can participate uh, 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 through our webpage. You can participate on our app. There's a drop-down in the giving that says Legacy. Now, worship. I want us to end today with worship. Now, we're going to do music, but music isn't worship by itself, okay? We're going to worship. I want us in just a moment to stand and to worship. I'm going to move this Joash chest right here, and I'm going to ask everybody to participate. Now, maybe you already have, but I want you to enjoy the benefit of bringing forth an offering. Say, I don't have one. That's why we gave you one. And I mean that. This is not a trick. I'm not trying to be cheesy. I just want every person... To know what it is to bring, watch this, worth ship to the Lord. You say, I don't have nothing. Well, now you do. You got a dollar. It's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. And now I'm going to bring my worth ship unto the Lord. That's worship. Now, I didn't spend a lot of time because I've written to you. I've emailed you. I've talked about it in other messages. But this offering will go to three different lanes. Number one it will go right here in Skagit Valley. And we will do some things to help this community, every single legacy offering that we take. And uh, for those of you kings that want the seed to go in good soil, it's going into the soil of the very place where you live, the very place your kids go to school, the very place where the policemen protect us, the very place where the firemen come, the very place where you shop. Okay, we put it right back in to this community. This year, I'm very excited. I'm just a few weeks premature of being able to share all of this with you. But one of the things we, we finally decided to do is now we signed the paperwork to rent the rest of the building. So now, other than the restaurant, we're going to occupy and have control over the whole building. God's been trying to open the door. Watch this. But we're not just going to open it for fun. How many know that, right? We're going to open it so we can minister to those that need ministering too. We wrestled for a long time. We've been back and forth on doing a daycare for underprivileged kids. But we have landed on a partnership with a wonderful lady named Sylvia Alvarez. And we're going to partner with them. I really believe in my heart this will be step number one to what we see eventually being a dream center. And we're going to open a teen life center right next door there for teenagers that need help. Come on, everybody. Come on. For underprivileged teenagers, for teenagers that don't have a mom and dad at home helping them with homework, for foster kids that 
that age out and have nowhere to go. We have a huge population of homeless teenagers in this community. We can't do everything, but we can do something, everybody. Kings can rise up, and kings can make a difference in the kingdom in which God has placed us. Can I get an amen on that, everybody? Right, everyone? Come on now. Oh, whoo! Stop making me cry like that, would you? Next week, we'll spend a little bit more of the king's money as we invite our targeted neighborhoods. And when I say targeted neighborhoods, we are specifically reaching specific neighborhoods. The year will come where we'll have the space where all of you can invite all of the people you want to invite. But right now, we have a specific neighborhood that we've been reaching and targeting and working, and the soil is hard. And we don't know if 10 people are coming next week or 1,000 people are coming next week. But regardless, it's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. It's about plowing the ground, right, everybody? And next week, they'll come, we'll give them tacos, we'll feed them, say happy Thanksgiving, and give them a pie. Come on, everybody. We're going to invest in where we live. Number two is we're going to continue to invest. uh, What happened? Oh, uh, number two, we're going to continue to invest nationally as we continue to pour into Colorado City. By the way, it's because of our investment. It's because of the king's investment. I think, I could be a few thousand off on this, but I think we've already given 20 20 or 25,000, maybe 20,000, $20,000 to Colorado City to help those moms and help those children get back on their feet. Come on now. Wait, wait, that's not the best. You say, but Ken, we need that money. You haven't heard a word I've taught. Because a generous man will prosper. Because we've given that, that was a link to why Convoy of Hope heard about this little church in little old Mount Vernon that is given per capita more than anybody else. They said, because they're givers, we want to be givers to them. That's where the shoes are coming from, everybody. Come on now, right? Okay. And then lastly, we want to give, we want to hold some for radius uh, because I am very committed that we don't get us into debt. And so every year since we've been here... We've been socking it away into a building fund that you don't even know about. So when the door opens and the property gets there, come on, kings will have already been faithful and we can purchase a building. Maybe we'll purchase this building. Come on, where's my legacy builders? We'll purchase this. We'll have the restaurant. We could have tacos every single Sunday. Come on, everybody. While we're buying things, why don't we buy the abandoned property across the street for a youth center? Come on, everybody, right? Come on now. Let's just keep spending make-believe money. This is fun. That's the three lanes. And if you don't see it going around, then look harder. Look in a children's room and see what's happened. Remember last year at Legacy, I said, we're going to invest in our children's. And there it is. Okay? Um, And so watch it happen. Be the kings God has called you to be. I'll continue to work hard to be the priest God has called me to be. But when we sit in the right chairs, God does some incredible things. Amen? Would you stand with me all over this place?